Annabelle, welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Glad you could come along today. Today we're going to cover off on a couple of different things, particularly hay, hay quality, and red imported fire ants. Great. Yep. So um, red imported fire ants are... um, They've been a risk for a while to New South Wales, but it's becoming um, more and more obvious that we need to um, pay particular attention now that there's an emergency order placed on uh, on red imported fire ants. Yeah, so a bit of background. Annabelle works with the local land services in the emergency management space, but she's also a producer near Delungra uh, Mixed Farming. Yeah, that's right. Yep. We've got... Um, We've uh, got a place between Inverell and Delungra. We've got um, a mixture of stud and commercial cattle, Hereford and Angus cattle, um, and a bit of grain cropping and fodder cropping for stock, basically. So you know full well, particularly coming out of the 1819 drought, feeding hay to livestock, and today we're going to chat about some of the um, strategies to put in place when looking at buying hay and feeding hay to livestock. Great. Yeah, I, I wish I didn't know so well, but we do, sadly. Um, I'm still still scarred, I think, but we certainly learnt um, some good lessons along the way. Oh, we sure did, and we'll cover off on some of those today. So basically, feeding hay to livestock, the winter feed gap is extending a little longer than we would like. So people are looking to bring in hay to fill that roughage voyage or fill those energy and protein requirements. Um, Yeah, absolutely they are, Max, and I suppose there are some um, considerations uh, if you're buying hay in. Um, As I said, we learnt plenty of lessons, bought more hay than we um, really wanted to in in the 18-19 drought, but we would always, um, we always bale hay anyway um, to feed out through the winter to fill that um, you know, natural winter feed gap, absolutely. We do have oats as well that we um, move our cattle on to, but um, we, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely um, hay users and, and bale our own. Yeah. So when I talk to producers about feeding hay to livestock, I really sit down and chat to what class of livestock are you feeding them to? Is it sheep? Is it cattle? If you're feeding them to sheep, maybe grain may be a better source to go if there's not enough um, protein and energy in the pastures available and just having the hay or straw there as a roughage source but for cattle you hay may be a better option um, to get in those protein and energy sources in because cattle require a higher level of roughage in the diet yeah absolutely and I guess it depends on whether they're lactating stock as well of course and we um, I was chatting to my husband about this recently we we have a feed mixer and it's a saving grace um, we would I mean, the benefit of having one is that you get to modify the amount of protein you're putting in your mix. So it allows you to use a lower a lower quality hay um, because you can, uh, you know, adjust the protein depending on what class of livestock you're feeding. But not everybody has access to a feed mixer. I get that. Um, but it's no. certainly been useful for us. And there's so many different ways of feeding livestock, which we'll chat about some of them and yep. some of our experiences doing that. But when I talk to people about buying commodities, I always get them to compare them on a cents per megajoule basis and a dollars per pro, dollars per kilo of protein. So the drought and supplementary feed calculator is a great tool. It does all those calculations for you. So you don't have to be 
on the back of an envelope doing those um, long-winded calculations. You basically just plug them in and it'll do that. So it's really easy to compare um, commodities. Yep, yep. Have, we, we definitely use yeah. that uh, and we also used that um, managing drought manual during the drought just to, I guess, double check that we were um, getting the, the quantity right um, and, and sure we had the best of intentions to, to feed for production but as the drought actually extended, that ended up being feeding for maintenance more mm. so than production. I definitely remember that. Um, but yeah, you're just always wanting to, to double check, I guess, that, um, that you're getting it right before you, before you have to use your stock as the, as the litmus test. You don't want to be seeing them deteriorate before you're making decisions. You need to be making the decisions beforehand. That's it. And our management decisions and strategies behind feeding livestock is always changing and evolving. Like you said, at the start, you're optimistic it's going to rain and then your strategy does move from sometimes production feeding to maintenance yeah absolutely yeah. and i think a lot of that comes down to uh so, so the extended period of mm. of the drought too makes you have to change and adapt as you go because we obviously used all of the the hay that we had on hand and it's why we would prefer to um you know we bale, big round bales, because we can store them outside. Um, you know, we find them a better a better um, option for us, particularly. I get that that's not for everybody, but certainly for us, it allowed us to, to store bigger quantities. But, you know, once we worked through all of that, you then have to change your strategy a bit. And certainly our strategy and a lot of people's strategy changed throughout the recent drought. Like, we started off with best intentions. We were getting quite good quality hay, but those hay reserves definitely did diminish. And the quality of hay and what we were sourcing transitioned from hay to stubble to grassy hay and sometimes like even some... They were, they were actually sugar, baling sugar yeah, sugarcane mulch. Sugarcane yeah, mulch and absolutely. stubble came in. Yep. And people learned quite quickly that stock just would not eat that. They were bailing roadsides, I think, eventually, weren't they? You know, yeah. we, we we had some shocking examples of, of strange things in hay bales um, as the drought progressed and as the demand on hay um, just went through the roof, of course, and so did the price because of that. That's it. So even right throughout the drought, people were still comparing commodities on that dollars per kilo of protein and cents per kilo, uh, cents per megajoule of energy. So keeping those strategies in place, even as commodities become less available, is my recommendation moving forward. Absolutely. And and make your, um, have a plan early. I know it's so easy to say, um, but I think um, you have to have some level of acceptance that your plan will change, uh, but you've just got to, you know, be prepared to, to make some decisions early and act on them not making a decision is is more risky, um, you know, financially, human resources wise, emotionally, than not making a decision at all. Oh, most definitely. And particularly haze versus straws. When I talk to people about haze versus straws, straw is generally a grain crop that's been harvested, the grain's gone off, they've then baled the leftover part. So the stubble, would so you call that like a stubble hay? Or? Basically the stubble's been 
harvested, baled up, and the quality of that is quite often low. So you're using that mainly as a fiber component for your livestock. So if you've got sheep on a grain ration and you're looking for that scratch factor, that's when I'd get people to consider buying a straw or if you've got your cattle on a high grain ration as well, you may be able to incorporate that in just to keep those rumens functioning and um, get those papillae moving. And same with um, feeding out cottonseed, you know, using um, straw as the as the fibre when you're feeding cottonseed is certainly how we managed Definitely. quite a bit. And haze, like you can use those for production feeding. Like a lot of people wean their cattle onto hay. They can have quite good energy and protein levels. So stock can be moving forward with those and they can meet the energy and protein requirements without adding any other supplements to the mix. So you can be feeding those as a whole feed, yep. which is quite handy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's different methods of feeding them out. So I think in the drought, we all got quite used to feeding out by ourselves. So you'd be putting a bale of hay on the back of the ute. And um, I think people got quite used to putting them in low four and driving down the paddock and feeding off themselves. They absolutely did. Again, it's where a round bale is quite handy. If you've got a bit of a slope and you can open the tray and roll it out. Um, and I think to, um, you know, rolling out a round bale gives better access to this. I'm talking, you know, particularly in a drought because it, yeah. it's not the ideal way to feed it out, but it's certainly you do what you've got to do, don't you? Um, and you just want to make sure that Every animal has access to it, but we would prefer to, you know, put it in a, a self-feeder um, from the mixer yeah. or a hay rack, of course. Yeah, they are ideal. But yeah, yeah, get it. You can't the, can't do it every time. And the scale of producer out there, some producers may be small in feeding out smaller quantities and hay racks may not be economically viable. So Correct. You, mm, yeah. Absolutely. All those Tractor tyres, they're good they for are. feeding out. Yeah. <laughs> So feeding out small bales versus square versus round, I think it depends on the infrastructure you've got basically. Absolutely, it does. So if you've got loads of storage space, then square bales are probably better because you can store them inside. But for us, I guess the way we did the drought was we didn't have, um, you know, endless storage. So we were able to store round bales outside but also if you if you transport something to consider is if you're transporting hay from a long way away, square but big square bales load much better, of course, than round bales. So there are lots of things to consider. If you're baling yourself, which we do, we would use big round bales. But if you're transporting it from a long way away, you probably use big square bales. And I also understand that, you know, it depends on the size of your your operation. Small bales obviously serve a purpose too, but they're obviously a lot more labour intensive. And expensive. So True. you do have to factor that in if you're looking at purchasing small bales. They are going to be at a higher price price when you convert them to a kilos per tonne basis. True. But I understand people use them. They don't have the tractors or the infrastructure to um, move them about. So they are, are an option for people to consider, but really do compare those commodities Absolutely. And I think too, the thing about, um, good thing about a square bale, they're much bigger, they're much heavier. So you're actually, you know, if you're putting a bale on a front end loader and putting it into a hay rack, you're putting a bigger quantity of feed out each time. So it's, you know, you don't have to get around your hay racks quite so often, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a good point there. And assessing hay quality, uh, 
hay, particularly in the drought, was hard to get a hold of, and we were feeding it, feeding it out so quickly. By the time you send a test away and got it back, that B double may have already been fed out. Yeah, look, hay quality, I think it's one where you can have the best intentions. And, of course, we all want to to get our hands on the best quality hay. Um, And, you know, we should be asking for or buying hay that's been feed tested during the drought. Again, best of intentions. We started off doing that, but, you know, that that got harder and harder as the hay got further and further away. Uh, You had to rely on the description or the specs, but... Something that you can possibly do or it's worth considering is get um, a relationship going with a hay supplier, um, you know, somebody that carts hay or, you know, use them regularly and they can keep an eye on some for you as well. Um, you know, we found that quite useful just to, to have a couple of um, hay suppliers that we could talk to quite regularly and they, you know, were always on the lookout for some decent stuff. Again, price be- you know, is the biggest factor. Definitely. And that relationship you mentioned is quite important. I know we had an example in the recent drought where we got a load of hay, came in, and it didn't meet the description. It was absolutely rubbish. There was literally dirt falling out of it. We had a chat to the vent, the supplier, and he came and collected it, took it away and replaced it with decent quality stuff that we did pay the money for. So those relationships are... Really important. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And you can ask for a commodity vendor deck, of course, a vendor declaration um, with the hay. Um, and and I think that relationship extends beyond your hay supplier. It could be the person that's supplying, um, you know, grain or a commodity um, supplier generally. Uh, we were, I do remember, we um, fed some DDG, dry distillers grain, out a, a fair bit through the drought when we could get it. Yeah. Um, and I do recall that um, we got one of the last loads around because we were a regular um, buyer from from these guys. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to emphasise that us as graziers, if we push as an industry um, and ask when we're buying hay regularly for a feed test, the more we ask for it, the more the growers are likely to produce it. Yeah, it so becomes when, commonplace. Mm. Yep. So I reckon we should be asking, always asking for that and putting the heat back on the growers to be providing that so we can buy hay more accurately. Yep. Good point. Yeah, mm. agree. It needs to be just, you know, part of the, the routine of, of supplying. Yep. While we're on talking about quality, uh, some of the common things that we did see in the drought were some old issues with hay and hay storage. So keep an eye out for mouldy hay. Mouldy hay can roll livestock and impact livestock gains. So my advice with mouldy hay is avoid it. Yeah. Like don't buy hay, don't buy mouldy hay, even in the even when it's really tight, avoid it. Um, sometimes you are going to feed it out. Um, see if you can cut off if the bottom of the hay is mouldy. See if you can just feed out the three quarters of the bale and leave the bottom half. Or if you're really desperate, feed it to your less valuable stock first. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is luck of the draw when, when it's getting that tight because, of course, people are bailing to meet demand. So they're possibly bailing in less than ideal conditions. They're just, 
trying to get it done and get the get the bales out there. So, um, yeah, it is a bit luck of the draw. And another one that we saw common was parasic acid levels became a little bit high in some of the um, haze that came in. So parasic acid is um, when the plant's been stressed and it starts growing again, the level of prussic acid builds up. It doesn't affect the plant, but when livestock eat it, it can cause livestock deaths. It is absolutely something we avoided was, um, you know, drought-affected sorghum stubble hay during the drought. We mm. definitely did our best to avoid it. It's, it is risky. There are, and it is more common in certain types of hay, but I think this could be a whole episode on <laughs> parasic acid and nitrate poisoning. Yeah, right. But nitrate poisoning is more common post-drought in those green-growing feed. Can you test for it? You can test your pastures for nitrate poisoning, but like nitrate and parasic acid poisoning, there's your stock are going to be dead before yeah. you, you get, notice them. get your result before you get your results back. Yeah. Yeah. So any Avoid suspicious <laughs> deaths, Avoid definitely yeah. um, get the vet out to investigate those. Yeah. A lot of people consider buying in silage. Have you had any experience with feeding out silage to livestock? Uh, we have had some experience. I mean, silage, you tend to bale that when it's a wetter year or, or, you know, in our circumstances, we would bale it more likely to bale it in a wetter year because you – um, because the conditions almost demand that you do. Uh, for us, um, we don't use it a lot because we can't store it for long enough. You know, it just, we want a, I guess, a longer shelf life um, on our um, winter feed gap feed or drought feed. So um, baled silage is something that we didn't use a lot of in the drought. Um Having said that, I think we would love to do some silage pits, but we haven't yet. Yep. It's on the on the list of things to uh, investigate. Um, probably should have done it in the last few <laughs> wet years, of course. But yeah, as a drought preparedness strategy, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the considerations with things like silage are, um, you know, you don't want to transport it very far because um, of its water content. It's it's expensive to move it oh, around. Definitely. Mm. Most good silage is 70% water. So if you get in a, anywhere past the neighbours, geez, it adds up very quickly. Mm, great yeah. quality product and, and does a really good job, but you kind of want it on farm. That's it. You know, to do it yourself nearly. And if you are looking at putting down silage and you're looking to wrap it, it's important to keep in mind that wrap silage only lasts about two years. So if you're trying to prepare for the drought and you've put in wrap silage... Yeah, you might only get two years out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one thing I do remember during the drought when we did get hold of a bit of silage was um, it. And obviously, you can't feed it in a self feeder. Like it doesn't, um, you know, come down in in the feeder, and so the stock can't ac wouldn't be able to access it. You have to feed it out in a, a hay rack or or something like that. So you know, you just have to consider how you how you use it too in a drought. Yeah, definitely. And while we've got you. Um, there's currently a few restrictions regarding importing hay from South East Queensland. Would you be able to elaborate on those a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's currently an emergency order placed on red imported fire ants, um, which 
there are infestations across 600,000 hectares of southeast Queensland. Uh, we've managed to keep it out of New South Wales so far. Um, it's been um, it's been a concern in Queensland um, for many years, and. Um, now that there's an emergency order in place, it means that there are restrictions on moving hay from southeast Queensland or from the known infestation sites. You can go to the DPI website and just um, search red imported fire ants on the DPI website and it'll bring up, you can actually look at maps of where those infestations are. But um, the risk of... of red imported fire ants coming into New South Wales is mainly human assisted movement. So it's likely that it would be carried in hay, uh, in moving, you know, farm machinery, earth moving gear, potted plants, mulch, um, you know, those sorts of things are the highest risk for its for red imported fire ants movement. Uh, so there are restrictions placed on all of those things that I've just mentioned. So why don't we want red imported fire ants? Like it might be obvious for most of us, but yeah. they do have a nasty bite from what I hear. <laughs> they do. They're apparently extremely aggressive. Uh, they'd have a massive impact on tourism as well. So you can't use um, any of the, you know, you wouldn't be able to use sporting fields, playgrounds, they impact beaches, um, but they also then do impact irrigation equipment, uh, lives, the bite to livestock is pretty nasty, I gather, as it is for people. Uh, so yeah, no, they're pretty nasty, and they're um, they're successful. So you know, once they're here, they're going to be pretty difficult to get rid of. So definitely putting these practices in place to keep them out is def our best mode of action. Absolutely, absolutely. So you can, um, it's good practice to get a commodity vendor declaration if you're bringing hay in from southeast Queensland and, and obviously the north of the state where we are in the northern Tablelands and across to the north coast are, um, you know, the higher risk areas because the infestations are not far over the border in Queensland. Um but um, there's a, a 1-800 number, 1-800-680-244. Max, hopefully you'll pop that in the notes. But um, uh, so that number um, is a New South Wales DPI number. You can contact them if you've got any questions. Uh, also, if you suspect that you might have seen a fire ant, um, have a look again on the DPI website for some of those um um, ways to identify the nests particularly, but also the ants as well. Uh, make sure you've got a commodity vendor declaration if you're moving uh, hay, mulch, potted material, turf, um, earth moving gear, ag equipment across into New South Wales. Um, and if you're moving anything from a known infested area, the restrictions are tighter. You actually are required to have a plant health certificate. But all that information is on the DPI website. So I'll definitely put that information in the show notes. Great, great. You mentioned commodity vendor declarations. They are important coming out of that southeast Queensland, but I think they're a great tool for us to use in general. Absolutely. Um, we talked about it before with hay in the drought. How do you know you're getting a good product if you can, um, if your hay comes with a commodity vendor deck, you've, um, you can be, I guess, more comfortable that you've got 
a good product. And it goes along with and accompanies your biosecurity plan. Absolutely. So all links in together. That's correct. Absolutely. Yep. And some of the other areas people may consider purchasing hay out of is central Queensland and something to be on the lookout for is Parthenium weed, ah. bringing that in. Yep. There was a few places in the tablelands that popped up after the drought that the departments got onto. Yep. So definitely keep an eye out or get those commodity vendor declarations if you're buying from southeast Queensland. Make sure you know what Parthenium weed looks like. It's a very nasty one. We definitely don't want it in the tablelands. Absolutely. And actually that leads us, Max, to something we didn't talk about when we were talking about feeding out is, um, you know, using... Um, feed out paddocks or sacrifice paddocks or or using the same site to feed out because it means that you can manage your biosecurity risks a bit better later if there were some nasties in your hay that you got from somewhere else um, and you did for example have parthenium weed in in some of your hay you know where to look for it you know you've localized your area yeah. of spraying work yeah. We've all been out spot spraying the last how many summers? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's something that we didn't think of before. No, very valuable information. So Annabelle, thank you very much for your time today. We do imp- appreciate your insight into this and it's great to have a producer come in and the practical applications put in and yeah. That's my you. pleasure. I hope it's useful to, to some, yeah, to some listeners. Excellent. We'll put that information in the show notes about those restrictions from Southeast Queensland. And if you have any more, if you're chasing any more information, feel free to give the office a call regarding livestock feeding advice or any of those regulations around um, bringing in hay. Yep, absolutely. So thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, Max.